so yeah, we're, we're, we're closing out in a way, we're closing out the sort of phase one, and I'll get to that in a little bit, phase one of this series that we're calling Origins. And, and if you remember, an origin story in film or, or literature is simply a story that, that asks the question, how did you get your powers? If you're talking about comic books, which a lot of us uh, talk about comic books in that way, or what sets you apart? What sets you apart from everybody else? And if you guys remember, I, I said that we were having a, we we're going to have a thesis statement for this series, and I want to bring it up, and we're going to read it again together, because uh, this is what our origin story is. Let's read this together. We are set apart by the themes of creation, fall, call, and covenant, and these themes begin in Genesis, run through the Bible, are fulfilled in Jesus, and continue through to the end of Scripture. So we've talked about creation, fall, and call. You know, creation is the idea that we live in a created world that God called good. And we are created in his image, good, right? That's the, that's the creation part of our origin story. The fall we talked about a couple weeks ago is the idea that even though we're created good and even though creation is created good, something happened. And because of because of this thing that we call the fall, even though there's elements of goodness in creation, it, it, it's been twisted and it's been sort of marred and, and turned sideways a little bit. And we have to live in that reality that things aren't as God intended it to be. And then last week, Pastor Mark walked us through the idea of call, the idea that, that living a spiritual life, living a faith-filled life is always something that's going to call you from the comfortable to the uncomfortable. From the affluent and secure to maybe the less affluent and slightly more insecure places. That's just the way faith works. And then today we're going to talk about the idea of covenant. It's this idea that is key in the Bible and it runs through the Bible all the way from the beginning to the end. And then as I've said, it, it actually runs into our life today. And, and we're going to be going to the Lord's table, as Dan said and that's a remembrance of covenant in a way. But what I want to do right now is just sort of start off and talk about uh, covenant because it's an easy word to throw around. Uh, it's not necessarily a familiar word to our everyday um, lives. So I guess maybe I would just ask you guys this. If I said the word covenant, how would you define it? Just talk to me. What would you say? Promise. Yeah. Agreement. What else? A contract, it's all these things. A commitment. Um, you see covenants sometimes in, in legal language. I know in real estate, you have like owner's covenants and stuff like that. Uh, when, when, when we officiate a, a marriage, we talk a lot about the covenant between a man and a woman. You know, it's, it's not just a pinky promise. It is something that carries more weight. And what's interesting ab about covenants is that covenant has a long history in humanity. Um, about 5,000 years ago, this thing was invented called handwriting. Maybe you've heard of it. And shortly after handwriting is invented, and, and we're not sure exactly of the time, but it seems like about 2,000, 3,000 BC, either in Mesopotamia or in China, people start writing things down. And almost immediately after they start writing things down, archaeologists discover these things called covenants. 
you know? So I guess in ancient, ancient uh, Mesopotamia, you know, maybe neighbor Bill had a goat that kept wandering into neighbor Bob's land. And he's like, look, we have to have an agreement. I don't want your goat on my land. Let's draw up a covenant. And so they, they, they begin to discover these things all across the ancient Near East. And what archaeologists have discovered is that certain covenants have, um, have qualities that just go from, from one civilization and, and one major idea to another. And so what I want to bring up is a list of what I'm calling covenant basics. So a real extensive covenant is going to have all of these elements. The name of the covenant giver. Okay, just this is who's making the covenant. The history of what the covenant giver has done, what I'm calling, what have you done for me lately? The stipulations of the covenant, the description. And then there will be a provision for deposit. So here's where we're going to keep this covenant. This is where it's going to live. And a provision for public reading. Because remember, you're not in a literate society. So things have to be read in public to make it binding, right? The list of the witnesses, the blessings and the curses. Here's what's going to happen if this covenant goes well. Here's what's going to happen if the covenant does not go so well. Um, then they, what they call a, a ratification ceremony and then an imposition of the curses, which sounds kind of like Thanksgiving for some of us, <laughs> I think. So this is a list of covenant basics. And, and just real quick, uh, actually, um, what's interesting is that if you looked at, at, at the, uh, the book of Exodus, if you're a Bible person, you know the story. Exodus 19 through 24, which is where the Ten Commandments are given, actually fulfills every one of these basics. And so uh, just real quick, what that does for me is like a lot of times when we read something like the Ten Commandments, which happens in Exodus 20, we see that as just kind of a list of commands that God gives. Don't do this. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not. But what it actually is doing is it's existing in the context of a covenant. And specifically, a covenant of allegiance. So Exodus 19 through 24, all of these things fall. God says, hey, here's who I am. Here's what I've done for you. I've set you free. Here's the way you should live. And I just think it's interesting that, that God's commands don't just come out of nowhere for, for vague, uh, you know, killjoy ideas. But it happens in the context of like, look, you're changing your allegiance from one person to me. So uh, this is what a covenant would look like in the ancient world. Anybody recognize this? Good, you shouldn't. Uh, this is an ancient Hittite covenant uh, between two guys. It's carved into stone because, hello, you know, paper not invented yet. So, uh, it, but it would have all of these things, this treaty between these two guys. This one is actually, in case you're interested, uh, a treaty between Tutaliah the fourth. Anybody know who that guy is? Not a clue. And uh, a guy named Kurnta Tarhuntasa. And so all of those things uh, are binding these two guys together in an agreement, in a commitment. But what I actually want to do is, is today talk about covenant in a way that's different than the way we've been doing the series. We've been starting in Genesis and then uh, seeing, how the, seeing how the themes play out through the Bible. I'm actually going, going to go in reverse uh, today. So I want to start with one night in Jerusalem. A guy named Jesus is there. And uh, this is the end of Jesus' life. He's about you know, 30, 30 some years old. And uh, he's come to Jerusalem with his followers. 
And moreover, Jesus has come to Jerusalem knowing that what is awaiting him there is imprisonment, torture, and eventually execution. But he's come anyway. The scriptures say that at one point when Jesus makes his decision finally to come to Jerusalem, it says he sets his face like stone to go. He's come to Jerusalem before, but this time he knows the thing that he was put on earth to do is going to come to pass. And that is, again, his arrest, his torture, his execution. So as he comes to the city and he gets close, he pulls aside a couple of his followers and he says, look, I want you to go into the city and I want you to find a room where we can celebrate something called the Passover, which is a remembrance, a freedom dinner that the Jewish people celebrate every, every year. And so his followers go in and uh, they find the room and they, like, they get everything ready to celebrate the Passover. And then Jesus shows up with the 12, the 12, the inner, the inner circle of disciples. And they, they begin to have a meal, which we now call the Lord's table or communion or the Eucharist. And in the middle of this meal, which is a, a modified Passover meal, Jesus says this. He looks around and as they were eating, Jesus took some bread because it's part of the meal, part of the ceremony. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take it for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the what? Covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again till the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Some translations say that this is my blood which confirms a new covenant. And so I wanna kind of play with the idea for just a few minutes of if there's a new covenant, what does the old covenant look like? And to do that, I wanna start with what Jesus says uh, in terms of being a new covenant. In the Greek language, there's two words for new. They're the Greek word neos and the Greek word kainos. Now they mean different things. Neos is simply age, age. You know, we, we have a, a nursery there. If you go in that nursery, you see a lot of neos humans, new humans. They just haven't been around very long, right? Kainos is a term that uh, separates from time a little bit. And it has more of a connotation of something new that's never been seen before. Something unprecedented. Anybody guess which term Jesus uses here? He uses kainos. So he says, this is a new covenant. This is something unprecedented, never seen. It's not a matter of being something that is just not very old. It is something that he's saying, you've never seen anything like this before. And just uh, as, as a bit of context, um, as we start to talk about covenant, as we go backwards in time to, to Genesis, I want to let you know that there's many covenants in the Bible. So Jesus says, look, this is a covenant confirmed with my blood. It's a new covenant. But here's a short list of, of some other covenants uh, listed in reverse in the Bible. So there's a covenant that the prophet Jeremiah mentions. And he says, this is a new covenant that's where I'm going to take the law that's written on stone and I'm going to write it on my people's hearts. And some scholars think that this is actually what Jesus is alluding to, this new covenant. 
God makes a covenant with Moses, as we mentioned in Exodus 19 through 24, sort of an allegiance treaty. God makes a covenant with King David saying, look, your descendants are always going to be on the throne. He makes a covenant with Noah after the flood. Anybody know what's, what's, that, what's that covenant involve? The rainbow. And then he makes a covenant, which we're going to talk about today, which, which is really, really critical to our understanding of, of who we are as a people. And that's the covenant with a guy named Abram and Abraham. And Mark introduced us to Abram last week. And we're going to jump into his story and talk about the covenant and what it means for our lives. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn to just the uh, Genesis 12 is where we're going to be, or I'm sorry, Genesis 15 is where we're going to be mostly. And uh, I'm just going to start reading and we're going to make some comments and then we'll move towards the table as, uh, as the spirit moves us. So the text starts off this way. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, don't be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. Now, I want you to know that that this covenant that God makes with Abram, he mentions it multiple times in Genesis. It's like Abram, this is so new to Abram's life and it's such a a mind-blowing, expansive thing that God's telling Abram. God has to tell him repeatedly, Abram, I'm going to do something in your life. I'm going to do something through your life. So between Genesis 12 and Genesis 17, God just over and over again says, Abram, let me tell you what I'm going to do. Abram, let me tell you what I'm going to do. And Abram is kind of like a little bit slow on the uptake, I think. So let me just read the way it starts off. Genesis 12, which is where Mark was, Pastor Mark was with us last week. Uh, It starts off this way. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family and go. Go to the land that I'll show you. And this is what God says the covenant is. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous and you'll be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. That's sort of the first time that God brings this up to Abram. And Abram's like, whoa, that's pretty cool. Uh, but he has to keep, God has to keep repeating this. I'm gonna jump to Genesis 17. Let me show you how this reads. Genesis 17, when Abram was 99 years old, The Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. And listen to this and tell me how this sounds like a covenant to you, maybe with that list of basics that we said. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. Does that sound a little bit like that list that we said? He said who he is. This is what we're going to do. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I'll make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So now what's interesting about that, that, that phrasing there in the covenant is a couple things that God says. He tells Abraham, look, I'm going to make you fruitful and give you many descendants. Now, just in the midst of, of our origin story, does that sound like anything else that God has done recently? 
What's one of the things, the first things he tells humanity to do? Be fruitful and multiply. And so here again in Genesis 12, God, or Genesis 17, God is saying, look, Abram, I'm going to do this for you, through you. I'm going to make you fruitful. And this is important because what has happened between Genesis 1 and Genesis 12 is what? The fall. Where everything got broken and everything got twisted and everything got a little bit, the apple cart got upset. And now God is coming to this man and he says, look, in a way, let's start over. Let's start over. And Abram, I'm gonna make a covenant with you. And all of the things that I was gonna do through Adam, Abram, I'm gonna do it through you. You're gonna be fruitful. I'm gonna bless the world through you. So back to Genesis 15. When, when, when God says, don't be afraid, I'll protect you and your reward will be great. Abram always has, already has a little bit of context for what God is talking about. The reward is gonna be great. I'm going to be fruitful. Then the, um, the text goes on this way, verse two. Abram replied, oh sovereign Lord. Dude, Abram's got some guts. What good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, he will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own. So one of my servants will be my heir. Now, this is a common practice in the ancient Near East. If you don't have a son of your own, you take the son of one of your servants because um, male descendants uh, are very important in this culture. And so Abram looks around and he was like, well, God, you say that I'm gonna have many descendants, but I don't see anything happening here. So I'm going to just take matters into my own hands. And listen to the way God uh, responds. Then the Lord said to him, no, <laughs> your servant will not be your heir for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And, I, and, and, and what I got struck with is the fact that Abram was willing to settle for less than what God had promised him. He was like, you know what, God, I know what you promised me. I'm beginning to doubt. I'm not sure. Maybe I can, maybe I can help you out here, God. I'll give you a hand. And I'll just kind of get a, I'll get a descendant of my own. And God's like, no, 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 Abram. Don't settle. Don't settle. I got this. I got this. And he says, so he shows him the stars. And then the text says, Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Isn't that cool? Because I, I, want, I want you to just lean in here. Just, just grasp this. Grasp what Abram doesn't know about God and what he does know. And what he does know about God ain't much. Basically, God says, I promise I'll do this. Abram doesn't know theology. He hasn't gone to all the stage classes at E3. He hasn't even been to first class. But he takes God at his word. 
Because, uh, and again, this is getting a little bit into the weeds uh, Bible-wise, but the text does not say Abram believed in the Lord. Because in the Lord kind of starts leading you down this path of like, oh, he had all his theology right. He knew these things. It just says, no. The context says, God says, I'm gonna do this. And Abram's like, okay. And God's like, you just got sort of, you just passed from one territory into another because of faith. Not because of all these things you know or don't know, because of faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord. Again, we're, we're in covenant land again. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, the Chaldean of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, because Abram's got guts, Oh, sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? Then the Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Abram's like, got him. Different time. (laughs) So Abram presented all these things to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. I I kind of figured, because it's kind of hard to get our our minds around some of this, I I got a heifer, so we're just going to cut some stuff. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) Some of you hunter types were like, I can make that happen. Give me a couple hours. Then we'll have a barbecue in the afternoon. In, in, in this culture, in this culture as, as, as odd as it sounds to us, this is called cutting the covenant. So, so when you created a promise, a relationship, a commitment, something binding between two parties, you literally got animals and you cut them in half to, to represent the two parties that were being bound to, to, together, okay? And this is where it gets really, really interesting because the way that you bound yourself to the covenant was that after you cut the animals and you laid them, you cut them in half and there was a path, that what you did then to signify your commitment to the covenant is that both parties would walk down the middle between the carcasses. And essentially what it was saying is that like, look, if I don't uphold my part of the bargain, you treat me like one of these carcasses. I lay my life on the line for this. So as the sun was going down, the text says, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a terrifying darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. He's talking about Exodus in Egypt right now. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you'll die in peace and be married at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. This is just talking about this time period in Exodus and beyond um, where uh, God's people are gonna be enslaved, they're gonna be in a foreign land, and then they're gonna be set free. Now, before we get to the last kind of kind of critical part of this text, I wanna go back to the slide of covenant basics, right? 
We've seen all of these things right here in this text, or at least most of them, right? I am the God. I brought you out of Ur. This is what I've done for you. This is what the covenant will be. I will be your God, Genesis 17. I'm going to give you descendants. Now, uh, there's this matter of a ratification ceremony in which the carcasses have been cut. And we're going to move forward to this last little bit. All right, so remember, how do you ratify a covenant? You walk down the center. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day. Wait a minute, what just happened? Who's the, who's the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch? It's God. The Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I've given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, the land now occupied by the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephites, the Amorites, so many ites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. But wait a minute. Who didn't go, who didn't walk down the center? Abram. Abram didn't walk down the center. Only, only God did. Only Yahweh walked down the center. And, and essentially, uh, I really want to make this explicit. What God is saying is that he's saying, whatever curses are on this covenant, I'll take them. Abram, um, if you fail to uphold this, this covenant, guess who pays for it? Not you, Abram. Yahweh. In, 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 in biblical language, and theologians' language, they said God has just essentially volunteered to take the curse on himself. Which I don't know about you, but that, that doesn't sound like too many gods that I know about. That God say, if you can't do this, I'm not gonna hold you accountable for it. I'm gonna hold myself accountable for it. So 2,000 years later, 3,000 years later, this man named Jesus is sitting with his disciples. And he says, hey, this covenant is going to be ratified with my blood or this new covenant. And in ways, uh, I want to come back to that idea of what is new. Because here's, in a way, what is new. You see, all throughout the history of God's people, from Abram to Jesus, they can't get it right. God says to Abram, I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations. And through all of Israel's history, they just get it wrong. They just get it wrong. They turn the vision of God to be the light of the world. They turn it into an excuse to say who's in the club and who's out of the club. They turn it into excuse to say, we're right, we're the special ones, we're loved by God, and tough for everybody else. So in a way, what Jesus says, when he says this is a new covenant, Jesus is saying, you know what, I'm gonna do the thing, Israel, that you were supposed to do that you never could do, which is 
suffer for people, which is invite people in to a radical gospel that has no like insider club status. Everybody's invited to the party. That's what's new. But in another way, Jesus' supper with his disciples in Mark 14 is just a continuation of what was begun in Genesis 15, which is Jesus just saying, wherever you haven't been able to get it right, wherever you haven't been able to live out of your best vision of yourself, Jesus is like, it's on me. It's not on you. Covenant changes everything. So what does it mean for us? I think it means just this. I don't know, I don't know what you've walked in here carrying today. Okay? I don't know. Maybe you've walked in here carrying, uh, carrying the burden that you have not loved your family the way you want to love your family. Maybe you've walked in here today with a burden that says, um, I haven't honored God with my body. Maybe because of substances, maybe because of activities, maybe because of all manner of things. Maybe you walk in here today and you're like, I have hate in my heart, God, towards people. Maybe a whole segment of people. And God, I'm just like, if I'm honest, I have hate towards people. Whatever you've come into this room today carrying, God has taken it from you. He doesn't ask you to pay the price. He says, wherever you've fallen short, wherever you have a thing, wherever you have a regret, wherever you have a pain, wherever you have a burden, God's like, I have taken that curse from you. Can I get an amen for any of that? And I want to be clear because I, 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 this came up recently in something I was, I was reading of just, I think, from some, some folks who were really, really outside of, of the God movement. And they were saying, well, that's just a martyr complex. Your God just wants us to feel sorry for himself, for, for him. So we'll be motivated to, you know, join the club. And I'm like, man, maybe. But if that's just the way God is, God doesn't say, I'm not out here to manipulate you. I'm here out here to set you free. And it starts in Genesis 15. We are not bound to pay for the prices, of, pay the price for our sins because God did it. And it is finished. So as we move to the table I'm just going to ask those who are serving to come forward now. And as we get ready to receive, I want you to sit and I want you to name that thing in your life. Because we all have it. I want you to name that thing that made God walk through the center for you. 
Is it hate? Is it apathy? Is it uh, desire that has gotten out of whack? What is it? Because God has taken it from you. And this is not about feeling sorry for yourself. This is about celebrating a God who finished it all. A guy named Paul, theologian, church leader, right after Jesus uh, was resurrected, he wrote to a church in Corinth and he said, on the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he took and he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. And Jesus says, do this to remember me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. It's an agreement confirmed with my blood because our God walks through the center for us. And he says, do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Let's pray. Thank you.